Stanley Cup playoffs for August 2020 have moved into another stage. Believe it or not, you're going to be listening back to this. You're going to find the recording somewhere in like 3,042, and you're going to go, what? They were playing hockey in, in, in August? Uh, yes, this is Ingoal Radio, the podcast. Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of Ingoal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. Uh, we've eliminated a few goaltenders. We've transitioned into the first round, and uh, it's... Uh, Offering up some different storylines as we uh, move on uh, towards uh, crowning a Stanley Cup champion in 2020. A lot of the the work behind the scenes has uh, now built up that base where we're seeing some strong performances in this uh, Stanley Cup playoff. And uh, a couple of different uh, occurrences, one being desperation can breed brilliance. Carey Price is one of the greatest technical goaltenders that we've ever witnessed. And David Hutchison watched a save against the Philadelphia Flyers that he is calling the greatest stop in hockey history. Is that correct? Uh, I think you might have that one a little bit wrong. I saw somebody else on Twitter suggest that it is one of the greatest saves of all time, and I beg to differ. So what do you, how do you differentiate between that save and just uh, an outstanding, wild, crazy, great save for for the ages? Okay, well, first off, I loved the moment. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was incredible mm-hmm. to see what happened there. Um, I I just thought that there was a little bit of, sure, he stayed with it, and that was all fantastic, but, you know, he just sort of reached out the stick and prayed, and I think there's some saves like that flurry one we saw earlier this year, the Superman save, where there's just a, a different level of athleticism involved, and for me, those are the saves for the ages, where the whole body is flying across the net, not just I mean, I could see myself lying on my belly and reaching up my stick and maybe getting lucky. So I just see it a little bit differently. That's all. I uh, I put this one uh, on more on the shooter, to be quite honest. I know it was uh, leaning in from the hash marks and hammering away at it, but you got to be able to, to to score that no matter what the goaltender does. So Woody, where did you uh, come in on the Carey Price stop against Philadelphia? Okay, so much like our featured guest Martin Biron this week, he 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 had it as a you know a, a moment he loved in terms of desperation and never giving up, and you need to have more than just that technical element. But a reminder, there is a method to the madness, even when the madness is diving back into the middle with your stick. As Hutch says, get lucky. Darren, you made the perfect point in terms of the shooter and the rule of thumb as a goaltender. And yes, there is a technical rule when it comes to those desperation situations, is get something into the middle of the net because a guy with a wide open net is very rarely picking a corner. He's trying to put it right through the middle. He tried to put it right through the middle. Carey got the paddle there. Probably saved Nick Suzuki's life as he was huddled in behind that, like saved his life with that paddle. But honestly, and like not exaggerating, I remember the first time I heard it was 2006 Cam Ward I was covering the Stanley Cup Finals actually for USA Today at the time. Wardo on that great one with the Carolina Hurricanes and how many sort of desperation uh, type saves he made against the Oilers in the final. And a lot of them, when you sort of tracked it back and look, was him just getting something to the middle of the net. And that, as a principle, has always sort of stuck with me. It's not as sexy as desperation, but there is like there is a calculation to the desperation. You're not getting that stick into the top corner. It's get something into the middle of the net. Because like you said, Darren, most shooters, they're not picking a corner in that spot because they don't want to miss. And the result is he gets a piece of it. So I loved it. I I will say this. 
for some reason, Carey Price just seems to be able to make these stops. And we, we see little practice videos where, where he does it. And then during the game, he's, he seems to be pretty good at that type of uh, odd, unique, uh, desperation type save. He's, we should have like a breaking news sort of <laughs> you know, like bulletin, like yeah. musical icon. We can hit the button and the do, 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 do. breaking news. He good. He's made he good. another one. He's he's good. Uh, the other unique part of the opening round of the Stanley Cup playoffs was when Robin Leonard of the Vegas Golden Knights lost his skate play twice in the series opener against the Chicago Blackhawks, twice in the second period of that game. And then he was uh, forced to switch skates, go to the backup pair uh, for the third period and uh, and the rest of the series. It came out afterwards that the head coach Pete DeBoer said they were four years old. Uh, there's some some play in that. Some people are saying two years old before, but he he definitely had a pair of skates that were a couple of years old that they tried to glue tape and uh, use a different type of uh, screw into the blade to keep the, that steel in. Nothing works, so eventually he had to he had to go to the backup pair. But I I've never seen it happen twice in 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 one game to a goaltender. Well, and especially to a goaltender that's not wearing a quick release system, that no, was where that was my I don't want to I don't want to say frustration, but a lot of people I get. I mean, of course, something like that happens, and my phone lights up, and I get a, a lot of media, non goalie media, saying what like they're frustrated, like what's going on here? This is ridiculous. These skates, it's happening with these, and I'm like, like guys, this, this isn't this isn't a quick release trigger blade that's designed to pop out and and therefore can sometimes be knocked out more easily this is an old-fashioned hex nut through the heel like this shouldn't be happening it just broke Um, yeah and and the one thing i will say um kat silverman who does some writing for us at ingle mag um she reached out to a trainer she shared it with our group our little sort of um chat group that we have going on during the games and and what they shared back is that little screw that goes into the heel, it can be frustrating for the equipment managers at times because it's really hard to tell when the thread takes, like how much you've got it in there. Um, evidently, it's spring-loaded. And the the problem is you can't just keep tightening because, and I know this from um, goalies that I know that have had it and, and, and have had problems getting replacement bolts because they break quite easily if you over-tighten them. The bolt just snaps. So... Uh, it's sort of a problem with that mechanism, and clearly you had the wear and tear. And, and let's be honest, Robin is a big boy. Like that is a lot of, you know, that's that's he's he's one of the biggest goalies in the league. Like physically, it's a, no secret. He'll tell you. Um, and that's a lot of stress on a pair of skates to last that long. So uh, I guess uh, the lesson here is maybe swap them out a little sooner. Um, but for all those people screaming about these new blades, it had nothing to do with that. This was this is an this is a system that dates back to back to the old tuck blades. Like that's how old school this system is, and to have it fail like that twice is. I, my guess is that actually probably the this, the thread probably never took the first time when they fixed it. Hutch, you ever see somebody be able to stand up on on the tuck blade on the plastic before? Because that was a first for me. I think he was doing that mostly on one leg, though. That was impressive, though. I, I don't think he was re- really too much standing on the one. But I, I guess if you're a little bit heavier, it's like you don't need to sharpen your skates as much and you can get, get a little bite on the ice. So if you're one of the largest goalies in the league, you can get a little bite without even having a blade at all. Did you guys notice how he was standing, though? On his toe? Like what? The, yeah, on his toe. Like And, and don't forget, Laner, like, like, like prior to the Islanders, like didn't sharp his, sharpen his skates at all. Uh, I don't know how much he does now. I was told was in New York that they sort of change... 
Yeah, I think he changed that habit in New York a little bit, or they may have had him change it. Um, but he used to be a complete, pure toe pusher. Like if you watched him move around the crease, the only part of the blade he pushed with, and he talked about uh, that with us in the past, that was just the toe of the blade. So I thought it was interesting that the way that blade does sit in there, if you look at the toe of that true uh, one-piece cowling or one-piece skate, um, it kind of like, it, it's got like a sharp little corner edge. And it was like he was trying to use that that little edge to 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 get a little grip by sort of pointing the toe down a little a graceful ballerina in the crease, Robin Lander. It the, blew me away. I never thought I would say. I, I could not believe that he got up and, and got up twice. And and the other part was, didn't panic. And especially after the second time where you got to be losing your mind going, this has happened again in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He he handled it pretty well. I know there's some anxious moments uh, in, inside the mask and, and what happened on the ice, but I, I was pretty impressed. Yeah, if that was too Karaski, he would have tried to kill somebody. He's going to say the exact same <laughs> yes, thing, right? Tuka. Yeah. Yeah. And like, take, well, if I could just segue to ingoalmag.com this week, we have a, uh, we've got an article up with Mike Valley on his 10 lessons uh, as a former Stars goalie coach. And this week it's on taking ownership with Kari Lettinen. And really, isn't that a case of Laner taking, taking ownership? It's still his job to stop the puck and he's not getting flustered as others have in the past. So I actually thought that was, one of the best parts of it. Talk about grace. We were allowed to compliment the players. Same thing happened to Brendan Gallagher in, in his series, and he managed to skate across the ice on one on one blade. I would say t- taking ownership too. There's an example where, you know, Robin could have just blamed the equipment, but accepted the fact that he was using the same stuff for so long um, mm-hmm, yeah. as yeah. part of the equation rather than just saying, hey, the equipment failed. Maybe he kind of admitted that maybe I've been in these ones too long. I know he had a little fun with it on Twitter. Is that a too. lesson though? sort of in preparation rather than the age of the equipment because I'm actually okay. I said offline I wasn't surprised that somebody wears a pair of skates for four years because it's your connection to the ice. You've got to be more comfortable in those than anything else. But isn't that a a lesson that regularly we need to be tightening, you know, all the hardware on our helmet. We've got to tighten the hardware on our skates. I know that one's probably a little tougher to see what's going on there based on the design, but a good lesson for the younger goalies out there in terms of part of your daily uh, routine and preparation. And it was a good uh, learning m- teaching moment uh, for all of us that if that happens to the goaltender, the referee does not blow the whistle, blow the play dead until your team gets possession. And uh, that uh, that was, uh, I mean, it goes back to the Tukaraska when the, when the Boston Bruins exactly. allowed the goal. But uh, but Robin Leonard appeared to know that rule at the at the very start he was letting the official know and that was uh, because of the bubble uh, we get a little more access to sound you could hear the official yelling i know i know uh talking about the, the knowing that the blade was off yeah, the good news for uh, the rest of us is uh, if it ever happens to you in beer league and it has happened to me in overtime of a beer league game um if you flounder around and yell enough they don't know the actual rules at that level they probably don't even exist at that level for something like that and you can quite easily coax them into blowing a whistle that nobody else on the other team wanted blowing in the middle of a scramble because your blade is lying there on the other side of the crease well in your case um, they probably think you've blown your groin for the 14th time this season so (laughs) the medical well and, and the other well and the other part is like it doesn't look any different Right, well, exactly. Like whether I've got a blade on my skate or not, like the flailing kind of. Yeah, you better the tell same, the ref, or so. they wouldn't have a clue. Just regular skating. For yeah, you. It just. What are you like, trying to swim upstream again? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> the sad, the sad part is, is, uh, and this is probably a comment on the uh, 
collective IQ of my teammates, but uh, in the heat of the moment, and of course, you, you can't really, when you got your, this is why they have equipment managers, you can't really reach down over your heel with all that gear on and do it yourself. Right. Like I can't even really yeah. see. My teammates couldn't figure out how, we actually ended up having a call. They called the game because they couldn't figure out how to get this bloody play Come back on. in. <laughs> It was it was admittedly late in overtime, and we don't go to a shootout in this league. So there was like less than a minute left. Click which is right why in. You don't even need to it just step on it, and it they, goes in. Come did on, you, they, did he default? No, they just called it a draw. Oh, so that was nice of the other team. Yeah, that's, that's I thought so. That's put great. A skater and keep show. going. Put a skater uh, and keep going. Well, hey, it, it worked for the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, in in Game Four against the Columbus Blue Jackets. So yes. why what? Why not give it a shot? Uh, uh, talking about skates, uh, old skates, and uh, making do and something that you love. One thing in particular, Robin Leonard changes pads and gloves like at the drop of a hat. He, he's done that a couple of times. But the skates, he was loyal to. So interesting that you can have that uh, uh, little bit of difference between your gear. Uh, one the extreme and one uh, so loyal to. Uh, and the other part is our feature interview this week is Marty Baron, who wore skates, the same pair of skates forever. And when I say forever, I mean forever. Uh, Woody, uh, just a little primer before we throw to Marty Baron, longtime NHLer, about what you guys talk about. Uh, we talked about everything. Actually, we kind of it was fun because we tr- basically worked our way through a lot of the themes of these playoffs, and he related it back to his career, um, the things he did to get ready and feel good for a season, and some really interesting answers, um, including some ones that might surprise people based on stereotypes around, say, a goalie coach like Francois Allaire, but what it was that Allaire did that helped Marty Biron feel good about a season, and it wasn't technical. Um, So lots of great different what he's seeing around the league in the playoffs today, Stories that he relates back to his career, working with Allaire, working with uh, Benoit Allaire and the New York Rangers, his thoughts on the future of Henrik Lundqvist as a guy who played with Henrik Lundqvist and knows him like no other, um, had, you know, has been in that room with him. Uh, his There were just so many different stories, like ha- playing with Hashik, working with Mitch Korn, um, and a lot of them tie back to what, not just to what we're seeing in the playoffs right now. But also, he's got a son who's a goaltender. He does some coaching. So a guy who's had a you know had a really long career, worked with a lot of big names, whether it's goalie coaches or goalie partners. Uh, saw the game, um, you know, firsthand at at such a high level, and he ties it all back to what we're seeing in the playoffs right now, what we're seeing in youth hockey right now. Things he'd recommend for other goalies, goalie coaches, goalie parents. And yes, we talked about the skates. And yes. They really should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame because when you say like a long time, I, I'm not going to give it away. <laughs> We're talking a long time for one Paris game. Unheard of, unprecedented. I couldn't believe it. And I think I knew it even going into the interview, but hearing him do the math on how long blew me away. Yeah, I just go with forever. Marty Baron, great junior, awesome NHLer. And a, a guy that can communicate the position really solidly as an announcer. Marty Baron, In Goal Radio, the podcast in conversation with Kevin Woodley. I think we got to start with everything that's going on right now, Marty. How are you enjoying having hockey back? As busy as you are, as tough as it must be to keep up with all these games on right now, 
How nice is it after the long NHL pause and more than four months without hockey? I love it. And listen, the uh, qualifying round was so exciting that I did not pay much attention to the round robin because it's almost like it was a letdown. Like, I know a Boston-Tampa Bay matchup usually is a premier matchup, but in the round robin, I was like, eh, I'd much rather watch, you know, Calgary-Winnipeg and see what's going on over there. So I truly have enjoyed what's been happening i love the 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 goaltending stories that have emerged through all of uh, all of this and yeah this is fantastic what do you think so like what out of those stories and there are so many with goaltending especially you know whether it's coming back after all the time off or some of the tandem situations unique to the teams like what's the one that's or individual performance what's been the most compelling to you uh through the qualifier and into the early parts of this uh first round I don't know. For whatever reason, my mind goes to Cam Talbot with the Calgary Flames. And I think you look at Cam Talbot, and and I don't know that he would have been my pick to start the qualifying round against the Winnipeg Jets. I, I, I have liked David Reddick over the last you know year and a half, and, and the way he plays, uh, he may not go out there and steal you a game, but I still think he's a capable goaltender. And Cam has had his really ups and his really down moments. Uh, and having, you know, to play with, you know, the, uh, the Edmonton Oilers last year and, and, you know, that didn't really work well. Then coming over to Calgary, it was kind of a slow start, but he's been really good. And I got a chance to talk to him in Calgary this year and he changed his equipment, has made some modification and, and it's worked well for him. So I'm, I'm truly enjoying watching Cam Talbot and also the fact that I've, I've gotten to know him. When I was with the New York Rangers and I retired and he kind of took over my spot as the backup for Henrik Lundqvist and did really well with the Rangers. So I like watching goalies that I know, uh, not only on a professional level, but also on a personal level. So Cam Talbot is, uh, is probably my guy. Okay. Now that's interesting. One of the things that I noticed, I read a really good piece in The Athletic. Uh, about Cam and the work he does every summer going back to Hamilton and sort of some of his roots as a goaltender. I think they call it the dungeon and just grinding away, you know, at his game in the off season. It sounds like he was able to do that during the pause. And so I wonder, do you think it's been easier for some of the guys where, whether it's Carey Price who doesn't skate, didn't skate during the pause, but frankly doesn't skate in the summer much anyways, or guys that went to Europe and were able to get back on the ice more like, do you think anyone who's had an offseason that feels familiar to them, to a regular offseason, do you think it's been easier for them to maybe come back and have success early? Or do you think with the three-week training camp, it didn't matter? Um, I think there has uh, been a, a very much a beneficial uh, part of this pause, being able to recover if, you, if your body was tired. And if uh, as a goaltender, I find it is different. Like for me, when I played, the most important part of my off-season training was the 10 days that I spent in Montreal working with Francois Allaire, and it was along with a bunch of other Quebec goalies, and it was, you know, Roberto Luongo, myself, uh, Mathieu Goran, uh, there was Jean-Sebastien Jaguer, Patrick Lalime. Like, we, we were a bunch of guys and truly enjoyed that time. Uh, we had a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, and I think that, a lot of goalies were able to do something like that. Maybe not with a, a personal goalie coach, but at least even communicate with their goalie coach, go on the ice, work on some drills, work on some flexibility, some 
agility and uh, it's beneficial. But I look back at some of the goaltenders and the start to the season, how good those type of goalies are at the start of a season. And you look at Carey Price, for example, I don't care what he does in the offseason because he seems to always start the season the right way. You look at a guy like Sergei Bobrovsky, which was completely the opposite. He never seems to start seasons the right way. So maybe he needs to change something. And obviously we saw in the qualifier, uh, he was really not up to par. So I think it's been interesting to see who's had success, who's not had any success, and, and where they go from there. What do you remember? And there probably this is this is something that maybe we can translate a little bit to the kids too, because you've you've got a lot of kids who, you know, it depends where you are right now. Here in BC, camps are opening and kids are able to get back on the ice. But for you, you talk about that week with Francois Lair and the work you did there. What was it, whether it was a drill or whether it was skating or one specific, what did you do to help you feel like you were ready or get ready after a long gap that maybe there's a kid out there that's like, hey, yeah, maybe that would help me right now? You know what? I'll tell you this. And, and I was a pretty confident guy. Like I knew I had good abilities and I would go in the game and if I felt confident, I felt like I was a giant in the net, right? And the one thing with Francois that was fantastic, and he's, he was so positive. Like, he would do some movement, and he would be like, yeah, I love this. Great job. Keep going. Great job. You're on fire. And I, and I was making saves, and I built my confidence right before the, the start of training camp. And that was excellent. So, and then I remember working with a goalie coach like Jim Corsi, uh, with Mitch Korn, uh, you know, with, with so many other guys, with Benny Allaire in New York. And they always build me up through confidence. And I wanted to respond to that. So I, I love when a goalie coach is very positive, very confident. I love when a goalie feels confidence from the support that they're getting. So I, I would suggest not just the young goalies, but the people that are helping those young goalies to, you can be critical and you can help molding the, 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 you know, the basics and the technical elements, but be positive, especially in practice. Because for a guy like me, it was so beneficial going into a training camp. I felt like I was a million bucks going into camp and that was great. Oh, that's such great advice. I do think that, you know, and even in the way I asked that question, I think my tendency as a guy who, you know, maybe didn't grow up with it and watches it from a technical aspect is to ask for a drill or to focus on that part of the game. And as you said, whether it's conversations with the Mitch Corns or Dusty Emus, another guy, a goalie coach that talks a lot about that, it yeah. is about helping these guys feel good about their game as, as much as it is improving it here and there. Yeah, and if you're a prospect... Everybody likes to pat you on the back, right? And say, you're so good. You're so great. You're young. Everything's going to be great. But then you get to a point, and I think we're seeing that in transition in some goalies that go from young to now trying to get a number one job. And the, the, the narrative changes a little bit. Now you're, you're trying to mold the goalie to be a superstar in the National Hockey League. It's not just about you know, pat him in, patting the goalies in the back, uh, but you don't want to go to the extreme on the other side. You don't want to be overcritical. You always have to find that happy middle to be able to give them the tools, but always build them from a constructive, positive way. Uh, you know, I think confidence is a huge thing, 
look at Carter Hart, you know, Carey Price, Corpusello, uh, some of the goalies, Merzlikens. I mean, the guy is so is so confident. He oozes confidence. And, you know, when he makes a save, it looks so easy. And, and that confidence is such an attractive part of playing goalie uh, that has to be cultivated and, and, and really uh, uh, pushed to, uh, to the next level. You mentioned Lundqvist, and obviously that's a storyline that a lot of people are going to be following in New York, and this is a guy you played with. There's a guy to me that never start, stops looking for ways to get better, but also has throughout his career oozed that confidence. We've run articles showing that, you know, statistically up until, you know, January when they brought in Shesterkin, Henrik was still playing at a Henrik Lundqvist level for the most part when you adjusted for shot quality. I still think that's there. I think anybody that's written him off um, maybe doing so prematurely. And at the same time, Shesterkin is great, so I understand why that situation maybe can't continue. Can you share any of your observations, uh, just historically having worked with him, having worked with Benny, about what it is he does that allows him to have that confidence and that balance between feeling good about your game, but also being willing or looking for new things? Because to me, he's one of those guys that you know kind of always does both. Yeah, he's such a hard worker. He's, he works harder than anybody I've ever worked with and, and played with. Uh, it's it's no secret that three of the best goalies that I've had a chance to play with were extremely hard worker. Dominic Kashuk, Ryan Miller, Henrik Lundqvist, three Vesna Trophy winners, uh, three guys that, that uh, you know, have really set themselves apart uh, in the position. And uh, Lundqvist is no different. I, there was times where you know, I was getting a little older and I was a backup goalie and backup goalies have to stay longer than anybody else on the ice. And I would want to leave and I would look at the other end and Hank is still taking shots and still taking breakaways. And I'm like, dude, get off the ice. So I can't get off the ice. Like, I, I don't care. I'm a veteran. I could get off the ice whenever I want, but I, I don't want it to look bad. Like you're just right now, you're making me look bad. And uh, he would laugh, but He's, his, his attention to details, um, the video work, and, and video, again, a constructive video session is, is so important. Um, there's times where you got to look at the goals that you're giving up and why you're giving them up. But most of the videos that we did in New York was the saves, and now you're making the saves. Because in a game, you may make 30 saves and give up three goals. Why do you focus on the three goals? Focus on the 30 saves. And that's really the most important part. And uh, Lundqvist loved doing the video, loved building uh, through his hard work. Um, I, I think it's going to be very interesting. Listen, I have my own opinion, and I, I don't know that any, everybody shares the same opinion, but I think next season being Lundqvist's last it would be fantastic if he could do one more year with the Rangers, uh, maybe in a supporting cast type of role, maybe he plays 35 games and, uh, you know, Shesterkin plays 50 and they got to find a home for Georgiev. I know people are going to say, yeah, but if you have Shesterkin and Georgiev for the next three, four years, you're in really good shape. And I totally understand that, but, a, a, a second goalie, a backup goalie to Shesterkin, you can find that. You can find the support system. And I think Lundqvist has been such a big part of the Rangers for the last 15 years that I would give him that last year to be able to uh, to go out on top. Well, and I think you could probably make an argument for the value of him with Shesterkin in terms of, 
you know, not just dropping this whole thing on 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 Igor's lap because as good as he was in the limited games, it's still an an entirely different matter to play an entire season in the National Hockey League for the first time. Uh, you know, you would know that better than anyone. Yeah, and and listen, look, young kids now these days. They, they prepare like I've never seen, like their mental approach to the game, their focus, their uh, their off-ice work before going into a game is, is incredible. Uh, but Lundqvist, even though he's 38 years old right now, I believe, um, yeah, I, you should see him prepare, like juggling the tennis balls, doing visualization, uh, getting ready for a game. Like he's in a zone. And there was a part of him that was almost – too far into the zone that my job when I was with Lundqvist was almost to loosen him up a little bit. And I think he did that really, really well to not carry those games on his shoulders and the weight of them for too long. Um, But a kid like Shesterkin definitely needs to learn from one of the best and and Lundqvist will teach you those lessons and, and you just have to watch them and they will teach you some great lessons. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the start to the season thing from a different aspect. I'm curious because every year we hear, every year we see the season starts and goal scoring usually is up and save percentage usually is down. And coming out of this break and into these qualifiers and now into the first round, I think there are a lot of people outside the goaltending world that said, oh, hey, the goalies are going to be behind because they're always behind at the start of a season. I don't think that's been the case. I haven't run the numbers, but my guess is the goal scoring is is sort of more, you know, March, April level, playoff level, and the save percentage is back up where it should be. Does that reinforce the notion that whenever save percentage is down in October and goal scoring is up, it's probably more about loose systems play and defensive details than it is about the goalies themselves? Yeah, and I, and I think we have to blame the players, right? I mean, that's what we do as goalies. We blame the players for whatever there's breakdowns and more goals and uh, because they make mistakes in front of the goalies. But what we're seeing now is obviously much more structured hockey, desperate hockey. You see teams like Columbus and, and Vegas and, and even Colorado and uh, Vancouver. They're, they're blocking shots. They're throwing their bodies in front of shots. They are really uh, protecting the house. And, you know, when you start a season in October and November, um, you know, I'm not saying players don't really care about defensive hockey, but the desperation is not as high as when you, uh, you get down to the playoffs. You know, making mistakes uh, early in the season is understood and the coaches may not, you know, carve you, uh, carve you up after a game if you make mistakes, but later in the season – you know you're going to be glued to the bench if you make too many mistakes. So I think that, that to me, is the big difference. I think goalies are always prepared. They're always ready. They always come in, um, you know, in midseason form, even though it's the beginning of the season usually. Uh, but the players and the systems, are, are may, maybe they're not as, uh, as, as tight as you want them to be early in the season. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Always blame the players, especially the, the defensemen. Just don't let them catch you doing it. Yeah, and you know what? I, it was funny because when I first came into Buffalo, uh, we had Don Lever and Terry Martin as assistant coaches uh, with Lindy Ruff, and those two guys used to always say, just blame the goalie, just blame the goalie. And I'm like, yeah, it's easy to blame Dominic Hasek because you never have anything to, for him, to blame on him. 
you know, and if he gives up a goal, well, it's the one goal a night he gives up. Like, I don't want to have the same pressure when I go in the net. So I'm going to blame the players, and that's just the way it is. Well, it's okay. So it's funny. You mentioned Dom, and uh, you mentioned him a couple times, the work ethic standing out along along with Lundqvist in that respect. You've, you've played through different eras. You've played through evolutions um, of the game technically. You've worked with Benoit Lair. You've worked with Francois Lair. Um, you've worked with Mitch Korn, so many different uh, greats of the game and different styles. Where does Dom fit into that in terms of the way he played? And how do you watch the game now when you see the evolution technically? And, you know, sometimes for the good, but also sometimes maybe it becomes a little too, you know, a little too technical. How do you, how do, how does Martin Biron watch the game now? I, I love watching the game and breaking it down and, and seeing what the the new generation of goalies are doing. But I love watching the old generation as well. Like, uh, you know, Lundqvist doesn't do a whole lot of reverse VH and, and all of that post play the way the younger guys doing it now. Uh, but he still has some really strong structural point in his game that were good 15 years ago and are still good today. And that is what... I think people forget goaltenders like Dominic Hasek in the nineties and Patrick raw in the nineties. And then you move to the 2000 with the Ryan Millers and then later with the Jonathan quick and, and the Kerry price and all of that, their basic, their, their technical base is fantastic. I, people used to ask me all the time, how do you practice with Hasek? Like, you can't duplicate what Hasek is doing on the ice. How do you even practice with him? And I used to say, you should watch him move in the crease. Going from his post to the top of the crease, laterally, their t- the T-pushes, the, the shovels, uh, all of that was, was so good. You know, he chose to make saves in a way that maybe not everybody was making saves. You know, he'd lay down when, you know, for me, it was more going down butterfly or trying to react to the shot. Uh, but everything before the shot was so good and so perfect that I loved working with Dom because I learned a ton from that. Uh, his, his reaction time, his, his puck tracking was, was excellent. So every time I've gone and I've worked with different goalies, that it has to be, like I said, Ashek Miller or Lundqvist, or even some of the other goalies that I've worked with. I mean, uh, you know, my first year in, in, as a starter in Buffalo, I, I was with Bob Asenza. And Bob is a great goalie coach in Boston now for years and has had a ton of success. Working with Antero Nidimaki in, in Philly. And Nidhi was such an athletic freak that he had a lot of success that way. I always love working with different guys so that I can expand my game. And now watching the new generation of goaltenders come along and, uh, and take the league by storm, it's fantastic for me because it expands my view on the game uh, and it just makes it better. Is there anybody that jumps out? Like, and like you said, the young goalies, like there's so many now. You, you, we talked about Shesterkin already, the explosiveness uh, of Emers Lickens and the, and the swagger that comes with that and the style too. Um, you know, Carter Hart with an efficiency that, you know, I think probably compares well to the guy he's playing in this round in Carey Price. And and even Carey Price within that efficiency, you know, I've had a couple NHL people reach out to me uh, during these playoffs and I would agree 
They feel like he's playing with a little more aggression positionally and around the edges of the crease instead of inside the framework of his post in this postseason than maybe he has in the past. So, so always adapting. Yeah, and I, I was surprised this year when the, you know, the uh, I think it's the NHL play that come out with the players' poll every year, and Terry Price was named the best goalie or the most dominant goalie or the goalie you'd want to have for one game. I don't remember how the question was posed, and I was surprised that he was still had that effect on players. I thought by this point, we may see somebody take over, you know, like Connor Hellebuck had a fantastic year and Vasilevsky uh, had a fantastic year. So I thought maybe one of those guys were, were going to take over. But you really see the intimidating factor that Carey Price brings to the game, uh, his body positioning, he fills out the net, he moves still incredibly well. So I, I understand why the players picked him. But if I have to look at the new generation of goaltenders and what they do, I, I tell my kid all the time, and my son is 16, he's a goalie, and I tell him all the time, it's great to have your, your technique uh, and your base and your structure be the leading factor, but now you have to add a different element, and that element is urgency. And you watch it in Vasilevsky, Merzlikin, Shosturkin, Corpusello, uh, Markstrom even, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury had that for years. The urgency, the, the, the battle, the quickness, that's what sets them apart. And I remember in my days, you had a guy like John Sebastian Jaguer. It was all about angles, going down, butterfly, your movement, that was it. The puck would hit you. Nowadays, goalies, they battle, they dive, they're flexible. They have that urgency. So I use the phrase with my son all the time. I said, I want you to go out there and play it like you have dynamite in your pants. And he keeps laughing. I'm like, absolutely. Like that stick of dynamite is going to blow up in your pants if you don't move around like something's about to explode. I want you to have that sense of urgency. And the young kids all have it. And it's, uh, it's really good to see. It's, it's entertaining still too, right? Like they're like the structure still matters, but that willingness to go outside the box, it's, Hey, cause let's be honest. Like if you, if the offense continues to go up in the NHL, it just requires more great saves and, and great saves are just as entertaining as goals. Absolutely. But remember how Tim Thomas set himself apart from the rest of the league, because the one thing with Tim Thomas is, he, you can never count him out. He was never beaten. He would always find a way to battle back. Now, Tim Thomas wasn't the athlete that, you know, Shesterkin is or, you know, Vasilevsky is because those guys are freaks in a way. But Tim Thomas had the, the mental battle to always dive or do something to never count him out. And he, he separated himself from the rest of the league because nobody else did that the way Tim Thomas did it, the battle in that. Well, now there's like 15 Tim Thomases around the league that are never out, that will always battle. And maybe even a guy like Kerry Price, like the way he made the save on Lawton, you know, Lawton's got the puck in the slot and he's taking a full slap shot. And Kerry Price is like, I'm not out of it. I'm going to put my stick out and hope that it hits it, and it does, and he makes an unbelievable save in game one against Philly. I mean, that is desperation at its, at its, at its finest. 
And I, 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 you have to have that to play in the NHL now. If you don't, you're not going to survive. Well, look at Braden Holpe, right? The, 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 the iconic stick save and the uh, reach back paddle save against the Vegas Golden Knights in the finals. Exactly right. There's got to be, there's got to be more. I got him, I got him a Stanley Cup. Yeah, exactly. That got, that got Washington a Stanley Cup. If that bug goes in, it's bye-bye. And, uh, you know, Washington doesn't get a cup. And Vegas would have been, uh, a lot of people would have made a lot more money in Vegas for betting uh, the Golden Knights to win the cup. <laughs> Now, hey, listen, I, I feel like we could go through your career and there would be stories all over the place, um, but time, you, you only have so much of it. There's hockey on all the time here and you've got a busy life, so I don't want to keep you for too long. Maybe we'll save that for a return visit because I know our our get, our audience is going to love this interview and they're going to want to hear from you again, but I want to run a couple more by you sort of tying some of the elements of your career to right now. And the one thing is, gear style and gear changes you always had style with the iceberg the von iceberg um uh pattern on there what do you make of where gear is going these days do you do you pay much attention to it when you see alinas allmark with with the bauer equipment with the 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 pucks just rocketing off the rebounds and the sliding Uh, and with your son obviously i'm guessing he tries a lot of the the new gear does style still matter? Like, like we see some guys that embrace it and then other guys just want to be all white. What does Marty Biron think when he sees gear around the league these days? It's all about style. I love it. And listen, I, I didn't start like that because, you know, when I was, when I was young and I was playing youth hockey, I mean, I I came from a very, very modest home. Uh, My brother and I, there was only the two of us and my parents never went on vacation and the extra money was spent on, our baseball and hockey season. My dad was a construction worker. My mom was a secretary for the government. So it was very modest and I never had new gear. I always had used equipment, old gear, but I made it work. Uh, Then I got to juniors and I remember my second year in juniors, Louisville was the sponsor for the Canadian Hockey League and I got, you know, to design a pair of pads and I played for the Beauport Beauport Harfangs and, and it's, it's a snowy owl. So it's an owl. And I had wings on my pads go both direction, right? And if you look at some of my early days with the Buffalo Sabres, you know, some of the pictures, that is the pads that I have. They have wings on them. And I always loved the style and being able to design equipment. Uh, you know, you talk about the icebergs, but even I had iTech gear um, coming out of the lockout in 0405. And one pad had the black at the bottom and the red at the top. The other pad had the red at the bottom and the black at the top. So there was a contrast. You know, I always loved playing with it. But I'll tell you this. I wish I was a 20-year-old kid and being able to shop around all the equipment that is up for grab now because it's incredible that, you know, you got CCM, Bauer, Vaughn, you got uh, Bryans, and now LeFave into the mix. Uh, I, I would go crazy. I would probably literally have new sets of gear every month to try and to see what, what other companies are doing. Um, and, and I do like the white. I, I'm going to be boring a little bit, uh, but I, lo- I do like mostly white. I want some color in the pads, but I want a mostly white pad because I think goalies look a lot bigger in those white pads. Um, I love Corey Crawford. I used to skate with Corey Crawford in Montreal every year when he was a young kid and, and breaking into the league. 
but every time I see him in the black pads, he looks smaller. Maybe it works for him, but I, I definitely think that I want a lot of white uh, in the equipment, but there's so many great companies right now that uh, I wouldn't know where to start. Okay, now last one then, and I, I always have to have a last one, Marty, or, or Darren Millard will wonder if I've lost my mind because I'm always asking too many questions. <laughs> but um, You said old gear. Well, speaking of old gear, you saw the skate, skate problems that Robin Lehner had the other night. Um, I'm thinking that for, for you, if that was an issue, you just would have added a little more sock tape around sort of the back edge there. Um, share with us the sock tape story for those that haven't heard it. I know we, I think we have it on YouTube somewhere in an old in goal account of you unwinding your sock tape from your skates and just how old those, you know, a lot of people have talked about laner skates being four years old. I kind of chuckled at it because I think you were wearing a pair that was a lot older than that for a lot longer. Yeah, no, I wore only one pair of skates my whole career, and it started my second year in juniors. So my first year in juniors was 94, 95. Um, so the summer of 1995, I got a new pair of CCM TAC uh, goalie skate, and it was the pump. You know, if you recall, like the, yep. the CCM was doing the pump skate at the time, so I got a new pair of those. And I wore the same pair of skates all the way until I retired in 2013. So it was almost 20 years uh, with the same pair of skates. Now, after a couple of years, they started to break down a little bit. And um, I got called up to Buffalo, and we played against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Felix Podvin was in net with the Maple Leafs. And he skated in front of the bench during a commercial break, and I looked at his skates, and he had a lot of – plastic tape or some type of tape wrapped around his ankles and I'm like oh this is interesting and I love Felix like he was you know one of my idols growing up and the style and and all of that I loved him so I was in Buffalo and and tape was a plenty in the locker room so the next day at practice I started taping my ankles and and then it started with like maybe 10 15 laps or, or turns around my ankle and then it moved to 25 30 and then it moved to 45 50 and before you knew it I was using almost a full roll on each ankles for every time I got dressed and now you go in 3 4 5 6 7 years with the same pair of skates well you're way over way past the point of no return like Every time I tried a new pair of skates, I felt like I didn't know how to skate. I didn't want to do it. So I just stuck with the same pair. I changed the cowling many, many times, which was a problem because you drill so many holes in the skate to be able to fit the rivets and the copper rivets and all of that. But, um, yeah, so the day that I retired uh, is the last day that I wore those skates. I got a new pair after that to be able to go on the ice and coach with the young, the young kids. But I still have those at home. And, and really, I think they should be in the Hall of Fame because I don't know anybody that played their whole career, everything in the pro, from Rochester to Buffalo to Philly, New York, New York, uh, and a small stop in South Carolina in the East Coast League with the same pair of skates. I, I mean, I think I'm the only one that's ever done that. I, I was I was going to ask if you still had them because I agree they should be in the Hall of Fame absolutely for having survived an entire career and a <laughs> career that was as long and as good as yours in one pair of skates like that is 
Somebody needs to put them in a hall somewhere. That's fantastic stuff. Hey, listen, there's another one but the that problem, I... Hey, Kevin, I'll tell you this. The, the problem with it is that towards the end of my career, they were not standing up the same way. So the right skate needed to be sharpened at, uh, I think it was like a 916th hollow, and the left skates needed, needed to be sharpened at the 716th hollow. There was like a, an eighth of an, uh, an inch hollow difference between the two because they didn't come into the ice at the same angle. So I had to, to find the happy medium there. And, uh, you know, Cass in New York and, uh, you know, uh, Harry, Harry and, and Philly and those guys really hated me for uh, – for keeping the same pair of skates all the time. I was just going to say the trainers hated you, but you kept a lot of sock tape companies in business for a lot of extra years, I bet. Yeah, and my skate budget stayed low, so that was great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, the other guy that I know you believe should be in the Hall of Fame is Francois Lair. Why don't we save that for another day? Because like I said, Marty, uh, yeah. I, know, I know how much our audience is going to enjoy this conversation. We're already well over the time uh, I asked of you today. So thank you so much for it. Uh, we'll have to have you back on to sort of go over the career, your brother, um, Pee Wee tournament in Quebec, all those experiences along the way and more on all these great coaches you worked with. Let's save that for part two. We don't have very many return guests here where you're this, you're you're, this is episode 86, and we've only had a couple guys back twice, but if you can make time, we'd love to have you back again because this was such a fantastic conversation. And thank you so much for taking the time today and amid such a busy schedule. Yeah, thanks for having me. Listen, we go way back, and I remember our conversation in the locker rooms when, uh, you know, just uh, you were starting, and, and I appreciate, uh, you know, those times that we had. So anytime you want me back on, I'm... Uh, I'm going to make some time and we'll make it happen. Thank you very much, Marty. All the best. And we also got to catch up on what you're doing with coaching and stuff as well as working on the TV side. So thank you very much for your time today and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks. I knew about the skates. I, I did not know that he had to sharpen the skates differently uh, at the end. That's the, the, the two blades. That's, that's wild. I don't, I don't even know how you even approach that. Imagine being the equipment guy. Like yeah. they must have just loved him. I, I, as he said, like he kept the skate budget down. If I was the equipment manager, I'd be like, uh, let's try this. New skates. New skates. And he, here's the thing. Do you think uh, he would have been more flexible to changing skates if uh, the mold, like the way that the, the skates are built now and molded and uh, so customizable, uh, he would have been more into it that way. Ah, that's a tough one. Part part of me thinks that that if you're willing to wear a skate that's 20 years old, it's all about feel and 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 some flexibility. But on the other hand, if it's a whole roll of sock tape, you probably want today's stiffness. So I could go either way on that one. Come on, Woody, what, what do we well, do? I I don't I I actually think it's the stiffness of new skates probably would have been what prevented him from getting into them because even with the sock tape and it was he he wasn't kidding like you got to look it up we have it on youtube so well, we'll, we'll, we'll link it, load the audio we'll link it with the show so everybody can see him actually undoing his skates it's, it's insanity it, it, it takes yeah and it's it's so funny just endless just roll roll and roll and that sound the sock tape makes so like obviously you're right he was and it's funny because carter hutton in buffalo now does the same thing not quite to that extreme but not far from it but 
Like today's skates is like they don't have the flex that those ones used to. And yet you could argue if they were flexing to the point where you had to sharpen them different on each side, maybe that's not a good thing. So, um, yeah, I, I just think that when you get to that point, nothing is going to feel right. And yet, you know, I know other guys, um, Cam Talbot actually, uh, told me this year he is in the new CCM skate. I'm trying to remember which model. I'll have to look it up. Um, but he was the same way for years, could not get out of an old skate, could not get out of an old skate, tried all kinds of different things. And he finally tried one in, uh, I think it, I, I think it's the AS3 model, Hutch, that, that, that we've, uh, written reviews on. And uh, yeah. And, um, and he just loved it. So, you know, maybe it's just a matter of, like you said, uh, there's so many different models and different, you know, feels out there now that maybe weren't there when Marty was playing. Maybe he would have been able to find something now that felt close enough or at least comfortable enough that he didn't mind how different it was. I wonder how much money and tape he went through during a National Hockey League season. I remember him telling me after the lockout, I think the 2013 lockout, that he like quite literally had difficulty getting enough because obviously in Europe they don't have you know quite the endless supplies. Like he actually was having to like sort of pull favors to get it shipped from North America to have enough sock tape in Europe because of how much he was You'd going. Need a whole there. shipping container. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you guys were uh, were on board with uh, getting him back on again because uh, he's. I just I love listening to him. Uh, always have. Uh, from the time when he was playing and interviewing him to to his uh, time as a commentator. He's just got a unique look at it and an honest look at it. And he's so great. He's always been gracious with his time. He talked at the end there about, you know, he was one of those guys when I first started out and started asking all these questions, even before I met Hutch and was sort of learning about goaltending and having this passion for it. Marty was a guy who always had time to sit down and talk with you and sort of engage and and answer all your questions and turn it into a conversation. So um, looking forward to the next time we have a chance to have a longer conversation like that. There was so much to get to because of the playoffs going on, but there are so many parts of his career that I can't wait to delve into with him. And I think lessons just like this interview, there'll be lessons in there for other young goaltenders, sure lessons that his son has benefited from as a young goaltender himself um, that that everyone's going to have takeaways that, that help them out. There was a time when you guys didn't know each other? Really yeah. Both old, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Before, um, it's not BC or AD. It's B. It's BW before Woody. <laughs> uh, as we say goodbye, uh, just one note: we knew that the Montreal Canadiens had a chance going into the qualifying stage, but Carey Price uh, added to the lore of Carey Price with that upset of the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins and making the Montreal Canadiens. A path into these first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Pretty impressive. Okay, so here's a here's a here's a in goal trivia for you. Um, put you guys on the spot. When you watch Carrie, Carrie Price, what's different. I think we talked about this a bit last week, but I can definitely see. That. Oh, am I am I am I going back to something I've already said? Yeah, well, probably. You, I think you asked us both, and I I felt put on the spot, but I got the right answer, so I was really happy. There's de- and I've heard it from more people now, guys. So obviously yeah. no, I did mention this last week. There's a level of aggression in his game right now that that is not what we consider typical Carey Price. And play, especially like we talked about this on the webinar, right, with him, the VH outside the post and stuff like that, right? So, um, you know, playing outside the post, a little more aggression, still under control. But 
uh, it's it's been fun to watch. It's been a real treat. And and there's a bit of a juxtaposition there between him and Carter Hart, and obviously the whole boyhood idol thing in this this first round. Um, and Carter meeting Carrie for the first time, like really meeting and getting to talk to him during the qualifier ser- or round. Um, but uh, to me, like, you know, this carry looks a little different than this Carter. And I would normally consider him to be very similar just because of that aggression. Uh, I, I just like the, uh, the control that he showed when, uh, when Grant piled into him, there was aggression oh, and then there was control. Thing ever. Greatest thing ever. <laughs> I love that moment. <laughs> that was two for flinching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we, uh, we are going to skip on out of here. Uh, we're going to show some control and, uh, slide on. Uh, through this episode of Ingle Radio, the podcast. Uh, thanks to Marty Baron. What a fantastic, wonderful, fun, engaging interview that was. And uh, to David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, and of course, you, the listener, uh, thank you for being with us through this entire journey, which has uh, been quite the ride in 2020. Uh, we will chat with you again next week as we continue through the road of the Stanley Cup playoffs and this wide world of goaltending.